Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. The countdown is on for Thanksgiving Day. We have so much to be thankful for. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. As you know, we come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. That's Eastern Time. You can find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We ask you please subscribe to the show. And if you would prefer to join us in podcast form, by all means, please do so. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you find your podcast. I guess we have to talk about the World Cup right out of the gate, right? Most watched sporting event in the world, I'm told. Well, it got underway yesterday for the United States of America. Now, that's a the in front of it. I mean, we can talk about the Ohio University and the Ohio State University. This is capital letters T-H-E. I can spell that. The United States of America. Yesterday, its opening match against Wales ends in a 1-1 tie. Next up for the Americans against a top-right country in their group, England, who steamrolled Iran 6-2. One other World Cup note. Many are saying who follow it closely. It might be the biggest upset of all time as Saudi Arabia beats Argentina 2-1. We will talk more today with Casey McAllister and sitting in for Paul Fritschner today, who's out in, uh, on his way to Portland is the boss man, or the Grim Reaper, yeah. as Zim Hude calls him, Trace Fowler. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. How are we doing? Happy doing, to be here. Yeah, doing good. Doing good? Doing good. We, uh, we both sat and watched the World Cup game yesterday. We did. We got disappointed, but we'll come back strong Friday. Really? Against England? I think they've been playing soccer a long time, pretty well in England, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. They, know, they have a bad record against the United States when it comes to when it comes to getting down to it, though. If you know what I'm saying? 17, I hear you. I hear you. Can't argue with that. 2022. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to talk to uh, Paul Doherty coming up here in just about uh, 10 minutes. Marty Brenneman on the program today at 10:45, and of course the tracer, not Trace Fowler, Tracy Jones. Coming up at 11.30 today. Football news. Bengals have the day off before preparations begin for a big one. Against AFC South leading Tennessee in Nashville on Sunday. The Bengals are coming off the very impressive win on Sunday in Pittsburgh. So too are the Titans at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. This is a rematch of last year's postseason clash when Cincinnati knocked off the top seed. Tennessee Titans to advance on to the AFC Championship. We know what happened after that. Last night in Mexico City, the 49ers. Man, oh man, oh man, did they look good. They hammered the Arizona Cardinals, who were without Kyler Murray in all fairness. He had Colt McCoy at quarterback. 38-10 to 10 the final. Jimmy Garoppolo throws four touchdown passes. As San Francisco goes to 6-4 and four on the year, Garoppolo, his record as a 49er starting quarterback goes to 36-17. and 17. 
which includes two trips to the NFC Championship game and one Super Bowl appearance. And just think, they benched this guy to start the year in favor of Trey Lance. Two weeks after saying Zach Wilson would be his starting quarterback, barring injury for the remainder of this season, Jets head coach Robert Sala would not commit to the 2021 number two overall pick for this week's game against Chicago. Wilson was brutal in a 10-3 loss at New England on Sunday. Joe Flacco, as you know, is the backup. Big night tonight in college football. Maction, they call it. The Ohio University Bobcats will host Bowling Green, winner take all tonight in A-Town. Athens, Ohio. The MAC East title is on the line. And of course, if you win, you play in the MAC championship game against Toledo. MAC player of the year candidate, the OU quarterback Curtis Rourke, was hurt last week, a knee injury. We understand his status for tonight is uncertain. If he doesn't play, that's not good news for the Bobcats. We'll see. College basketball, UC blasted in Maui last night by number 14, Arizona, 101 to 93. Ohio State lost 88-77 to number 17, San Diego State. That was also in Maui. So guess what? That means the Bearcats and the Buckeyes will play against one another in basketball tonight. That is at 5 o'clock on ESPN2. Trace, you stayed up to watch that UC-Arizona game last night. I did. I had a little bit of, not a lot of coin on it, but enough coin to make me want to stay up. That was the goal. And then on top of that, I just wanted to see how UC would bounce back after looking abysmal against Northern Kentucky. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I don't claim to be a UC fan, but I do follow them as much as I can, and I do like to see them win. So categorize that however you'd like, but it's not looking good. But if you're a gambling man, which I am, yeah. you're a gambling man, you said that they were down by, what, 18 or something with a minute and a half, two minutes to go, and then? Well, there's this guy named Josh Reed who comes off the bench. He's a freshman, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, there's the, he will be highly regarded in my household for quite some time. He paid, Not, the rent, he paid the mortgages month. He took care of business. You know, when times got tough, they always say, you know, Good teams win, great teams cover. Yep. And uh, he took that to a whole nother level last night. They were down 18, I think, with a minute and 20-some-odd seconds left. And um, Nerlens Nolly uh, hit maybe two or three threes in a row, which he had an incredible game. We can talk about that later. Um, and then Josh Reed comes off the bench, and it's back-to-back threes. So I think UC buried like three or four or five threes in a row to end that game. And it just worked out perfectly when Josh Reed hit his last three. Arizona just dribbled it out, and they covered somehow. I don't know. It was, it was, it was kind of like you need to wash your hands and, and before you got your money because it felt kind of gross. You didn't stay up for that, did you, Case? No, I did not. By the way, speaking of Northern Kentucky, your alma mater. Yep. Who you would have never known that until they beat UC last week when you showed up in the hat and the jersey and all that kind of stuff. Yep. They get beat up last night. I forgot to mention this in the monologue. 
by Florida Gulf Coast University. Now, that's a school, you may remember, that a couple of years ago made the run in the tournament. They've got a nice program down there. They've got a beautiful arena. It's right along the West Coast, obviously Gulf Coast. Uh, Florida, you drive right by it on 75. Looks like a really cool place. They build up a nice program there. And, of course, Northern Kentucky. I mean, they got the big win over UC, but that was their first big win. That was according to Coach Horn when he was on uh, here with us last week. And we'll be following them closely throughout the rest of this season. So as we wait for Paul Doherty, you guys are telling me that you sat here in our Chatterbox studios and watched the World Cup yesterday, the United States v. Wales, who, by the way, had not qualified, if I read it right, for the World Cup since 1958. They've had a lot of political turmoil and all these kinds of things. And, you know, th there's a lot going on reasons why. But that is a fact, I believe, 1958. That would be correct. Well, we didn't do it here in the office. We went to uh, Eli's Sports Bar and Grill. Really? Proud sponsor. Yes. Love Eli's. Love We've got a couple of locations, right? They do. Couple locations. They're gonna put me on the spot, and make me mention them. I think it's Mason, Ross, and I'll get back to you. In the Which last one time. did you guys go to? Ross. Ross. That's okay. right. Home of the Rams. A lot of soccer fans. Right? Out Aren't there. they the Rams? And by that, I yeah. mean I'm the being Ross Rams. Yep. A little facetious. It was nice to have here yesterday. Uh, speaking of Rams, isn't that with Baden Hamilton? Baden also the Rams. Baden is the Rams. Yes. It was nice to have uh, three young men in here yesterday. Um. That, that have um, aspirations to, you know, move on to college and start getting into this kind of a business. And, you know, Trace, we were talking about, I think this is something that a chatterbox, and you and I have talked a little bit about this, but, but, you know, I think this is something, there are some high schools in the area, we know all about the GCL South, and they've all got their broadcast departments inside their high school and that kind of thing, and, and getting young people a chance to do it in high school before they get to college. Um, and, and then there are some others, you know, there, there are schools here and there, whatever it might be, that have the same kind of thing, uh, that are fortunate to have it. But, it. but but it came to light yesterday that Baden really doesn't. Uh, and since we are based right here, Chatterbox Sports in Hamilton, Ohio, that maybe we could uh, find some ways, maybe we are already are, and I just don't know it, of getting some of those young people some chances to start doing some of this kind of thing. We've been able to give a couple of students chances to call games from time to time on obviously on our platform, but more to the point you're making is quite frankly, something I've been saying for quite some time. There's really not a whole lot of broadcasting and or broadcast school opportunities in a lot of the schools that we cover. And I know the GCL South has kind of like you mentioned their own thing. You have a few of the schools down there in, in Cincinnati that kind of have, um, and it really comes down to socioeconomics a lot of times. You're right. And whether or not there's broadcast opportunities at those schools. But in the, in the GMC, for instance, I'm not sure that there's more than one or two schools that even have it. So, yeah, it begs the question of whether or not there's a chance or an opportunity for us to help in those regards. But um, i got to be honest with you, man. When you, get into, when you get into public education and government, there's a lot of red tape there, and it makes it a little difficult to – it makes it difficult to try to make those opportunities exist from time to time. But yeah. it doesn't mean we'll give up. doesn't mean we'll give up. No, but, and, but and, and, and I've always said when, when young people ask me about it, um, uh, uh, you know, advice or whatever it might be on how you get into this kind of thing and, and, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, one of my big quarrels, and I'm going through this right now with our son who wants to do the same thing my dad did that I do, um, 
is when you go somewhere, if you're fortunate enough to go to college, um, that you don't get the chance early on your freshman year uh, to start doing some of it. Because if you don't get that chance and you're just taking classes to learn about it, but you're not really doing it, and this is a do-it kind of a business, it's not like reading um, uh, a textbook on how to uh, view and how to dissect uh, a spreadsheet uh, or a company's uh, financial report, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, you want to get in there and do it. But, you know, I, I've always said that, that if you're not getting the chance, um, and, and for some of you out there, maybe you have kids, grandkids that are watching, whatever it might be, um, you got to get the chance right out of the gate because if you're taking student loans to go to college, uh, you might find out not until your sophomore or junior year that A, you don't like it, B, you're not any good at it. And now all of a sudden you've wasted two years worth of a lot of money um, or your parents' money or your grandparents' money, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, when you're checking out a school, it is very important that if you want to get into broadcasting business, and I've always likened broadcasting on many levels to, to almost like being an actor. I think that just some people are, are they, they have a kind of a knack for it. And at the end of the day, if you're applying for a minor league baseball job in Daytona Beach, Florida, they're not looking at your academic record. They don't care what your grade point average was at fill in the blank. The only thing they care about is listening and or watching that tape of you doing play-by-play, -play, right? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I mean, you look no further than a guy like Peter Jennings, who some of you may not remember now. It's been a number of years since he passed. One of the most legendary news anchors in the history of television. Peter Jennings didn't graduate from high school. But you put that guy on camera. That's a big leaguer. I had a chance one time to talk to Tom Brokaw. I met him in a dog park two years ago, of all places down in Florida. And I'm talking to this guy, and he's telling me about leaving where he grew up in South Dakota and going to um, the University of Iowa. And all he did was fish, try to get dates with women, and drink a lot of beer. That lasted a year. And he was ass out from Iowa. And he wounds up down at South Dakota State or something, right? But he got a chance to start doing these kinds of things that he wanted to do. And we know how his career turned out. Uh, I am told on here, we were talking about this upset. Is Doc here? Okay. Um, just to, to, to put an exclamation point on talking about that big upset, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Reed Mouse tells me that would be like Ohio University getting a double-digit win over Ohio State in football. Yeah, that's a big, big upset. All right, I want to talk to Paul Doherty, um, author of themorningline.substack.com. He's even got the TML lid back today got the hoodie going um doc you know i, I read your uh, morning line about the world cup yesterday and and i thought it was an outstanding piece i mean i like so much of your stuff virtually all of it but for me i grew up playing soccer i played soccer in high school 
I played on a great high school team at Anderson High School. We played for a state championship and got beat by Clayton Northmont. I liked the sport. I liked playing the sport, okay? I'm in the generation where, where we were just starting to play it here in the United States. But, but, but you laid out the point, I think, so beautifully about is this really going to catch on when scoring opportunities are so few and far between when you watch one of these World Cup matches, case in point, the United States game yesterday against Wales? Yeah, Tom. Uh, I, I, well, just to, uh, let's correct it just a little bit. I, I, I think it's already caught on. Uh, it's more than caught on. Even, even at the professional level, my question was, will, will it ever be big three popular? Uh, will it be basketball, baseball, football popular? I, I don't think it'll ever be NFL popular, but neither will anything else. The question is, can it compete for its share of the huge financial sports pie with the likes of basketball and, and, and baseball? Uh, and my answer is no. And the reason was for what you just said. Um, the U.S. took one shot in that game. Uh, given extra time and regulation time, that game was 100, and, 100 plus minutes long. We took one shot. Uh, it went in. Yeah, I mean, good, good for us. We scored on the one shot. We're pretty efficient. Uh, but one shot in, in 110 minutes. And, and Wales had three. So we had four shots. You're watching two hours of, uh, of an athletic event, and, and you only see four shots. And, and I know I'm going to be ripped for this, and you're not sophisticated, and you don't understand the game. That's all true. That's all true. I, I don't understand the game the way people who love it understand it. I do understand this, though. Uh, people in America like excitement. Uh, they, they don't have to, to necessarily be scholars of what they're watching, but, but they know what they like, and, and they like a lot of action. That's why the NFL works. That's why MMA works. Uh, that, that's why uh, uh, Marvel comic action hero movies work these days. People want to see action. Uh, and you just, and for my book, and I, I'm from, from uh, an older generation, admittedly, um, there's just not enough of it, e even in the atmosphere of a World Cup, and nothing, nothing's better than that. You know, you, you made the point, um, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong, but, but, but the gist of it was you're also a guy who very much enjoys a one-to-nothing baseball game, okay? Now, you know, the first thing I thought of after reading that and rereading it was, you know, I, I think the argument can certainly be made. Now, from an efficiency standpoint, of course, it, it, it drops way down compared to four shots in the, by the two teams Two of the four shots go in, so you're at 50%, obviously. I don't do math in public, but I'm, I can figure that much out. But, you know, at least in a one nothing baseball game, Doc, every time a guy swings the bat, theoretically, is a chance to score, right? So that's why I, I, I think that one could, uh, in good conscience and logically speaking, could say, yeah, I can enjoy a one nothing baseball game, but I can't enjoy a one-to-one -one soccer match. Does that make sense, or am I out of line there? Um, yeah, it makes sense to you and me. Uh, to, to anybody probably under the age of 40, it makes no sense at all. Uh, I, yeah, and I, and I did write this. I said, you know, you, it it's doesn't sound illogical to, to be okay with 
a one nothing baseball game and bored by a one to one soccer game. But you're right, the, the potential there with every pitch. Um, whereas with soccer, there's just a lot of running up and down and, and the occasional guy uh, writhing in, in mortal agony after he got kicked yeah. in the ankle. I've never seen so much flopping. I, know. I mean, this makes the NBA look like uh, Viking, the episode, an episode of the Vikings, you know? Uh, every time, and, and, and these guys miraculously recover. Uh, you notice, you see them 30 seconds later running up and down like they're, they're 12 years old. But anyway, anyway um, it, it's all in what you grew up with, all in what you're used to. Um, I suppose if I took the time to educate myself on the nuances of, of the beautiful game, I'd have a different opinion. Um, but I'm frankly just not interested in it enough that I would watch it all the time, that, that I would want to understand it better than I do. I fully admit that. All right, I want to shift gears now to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, that's a good win for them. Uh, the yeah. offense, even without Joe Mixon, uh, your thoughts about the game overall, 37-30, final over Pittsburgh on Sunday. Yeah, I wrote this the other day for the morning line. You can't count the Bengals out as long as Joe Burrow is upright. Uh, Joe, Joe Burrow is inevitable. And by that, I mean when a game is on the line, when a situation demands a big play, uh, Burrow seems has this uncanny ability like Patrick Mahomes and few others to, to be able to deliver. Um, he, he did it in the fourth quarter the other day. The game was still in the balance. It was, I think it was 24, 27 to 23. The Bengals were ahead. They started at their seven-yard line. Um, any number of bad things could have happened at that point, especially on the road against a fired-up team. And he delivered 93 yards, seven plays, or whatever it was, touchdown. Game over. Um, the national people, I think, underestimate this team because perhaps they just don't watch Burrow play very much. Uh, we watch him play a lot. And the difference in that game, you can talk all you want about about how the defense played pretty well, at least for the second half. And then the offensive line kept uh, T.J. Watt uh, off of Joe's back most of the game. All this stuff and all good. It was Joe Burrow. It's, it's Joe Burrow's show. And as long as the Bengals have Joe Burrow, they can beat anybody. I, I mean, Kansas City, I think, has the best team in the league right now. And they have the best player in the league. But... Uh, oh, by the way, the Bengals have Joe Burrow, and they beat Kansas City twice last year. So I, I, I think to underestimate the Bengals and to underestimate uh, the inevitable Joe Burrow is a huge mistake right now. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, Doc, and you've seen this, you know, and you're almost 40 years of covering sports, columnists here in town, forever at the Enquirer, and, and now with the morning line. I, I, I really believe that when you when you don't have a guy like Jamar Chase, and there's some debate as to whether or not he might play this week in Tennessee, but that's for a different time and a different discussion. But that all of a sudden, the mark of a good team can be when your really good players don't have Jamar Chase there. Okay, so we know that T. Higgins is a great player. We know that Tyler Boyd. I, I really think Boyd's a great player. But all of a sudden now you got guys like P. Ryan, you know, after Mixon goes out. You get guys like Irwin, 
who all of a sudden, you know, catches a touchdown pass. I, I, I think it helps the Bengals. Um, and it's easy to say when you're winning, uh, you know, if they would have gotten beat or if they were to lose this Sunday without Chase and everybody singing a different tune. But I think for the long haul, this has a chance to make this an even better team. You agree with that? Oh, yeah. Guys getting their chance. Guys uh, stepping up. Burrow makes everybody better. Uh, Burrow makes Trent Irwin look pretty good. Um, he doesn't make P. Ryan run any harder. Um, so in that respect, maybe maybe you can't you can't give credit to Joe Burrow for Samaj P. Ryan. But nevertheless, that guy runs like uh, like somebody's trying to steal his wallet. And he plays like his last, you know, every paycheck is on the line. Uh, and, and he's shown what he can do. So, But I think ultimately it's Burrow. Burrow makes everybody better, uh, especially a guy like Trenton Irwin. Will you watch the Ohio State-Michigan game Saturday? Will I watch it? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I'll watch it. Do you find the whole, you know, do you think the college football playoff, it's a good thing for college football? They're talking about expanding from four teams to 12. Do you think that's good for the sport or no? Yeah, I, I think every sport that expands its playoffs uh, within reasonable limits, it, it's good for the sport. It keeps everybody more engaged. And you could say that it dilutes it and it cheapens it. And maybe it does in the first round or so, but but after that, the, the cream usually rises, and, and so that has no effect on the quality, at least at the highest levels of, of the of the play. Um, I I think you were referencing me in in your morning line there about the whole yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know Ben Bryant thing. I mean, you know, maybe right. I'm looking too much into it, but I was the guy. You said somebody asked me, you know. About Ben Bryant, the New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl game, would you sit him down and give Prater a chance for next year? They do still have a chance. Um, and, and I think it's so good for the town, the, 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 the possibility that if they beat Tulane this week, now all of a sudden, and that game, by the way, is Friday, not Saturday, that they would have a chance again to host the conference championship game here at Nippert, because I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm not sure there's a better place on the planet to watch a big time college football game than Nippert stadium. Well, I've been to, um, in, in, in a former life, I was a national college football writer at, at Newsday in New York. So I, I've been to lots of great places. Um, it's, it's right up there. Uh, I don't, I don't know that it's any better than, than Tiger stadium in Baton Rouge. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if it's any better than, than between the hedges in, in Athens, Georgia, uh, or, or the Rose Bowl, um, but it's it's good. Yeah, it, it's it's really a great place to watch a football game. It's going to be fun to see. Uh, you know, they haven't said for sure whether or not Bryant's going to play this week. Um, he was walking around with crutches and a walking boot uh, after that injury. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, maybe for a lot of people around here, they're going to get what they finally want, whether they like it or not, depending on the outcome of getting <laughs> a look at Evan Prater in there on uh, Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I think that he gives them a chance to win. I think that Bryant would give him a better – Bryant and Prater together would give him a better chance to win. All right, so what's uh, Thanksgiving like in the uh, Doherty household? That's uh, boring, man. Um, when when boring. you have kids and they move – it's not quite as great. Our son will be in New York and with his wife. Uh, my daughter will be here with her husband. Um, 
and my wife's dad will, will also be with us. Kind of quiet, but a lot of football, all-day football. It used to be a huge treat, right, to have two or three football games in a day. Um, now it seems like every game's on TV, and every Sunday you can watch three games, so it's not as quite a big, a big a deal. Plus, once again, we have to watch the Detroit Lions play football or commit football, even though they're not bad this year. Yeah, they're not. I really like to change it around where you don't always have to watch Detroit play. Yeah, I, 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 I was thinking about that driving into work today. That I, Why do the Bengals never play on Thanksgiving? I mean, now, in you know, years past, think, I, when, when they're not very good, but, I mean, Marvin had some good teams that were certainly worthy of playing on a Thanksgiving yeah. Day game. Yeah, and in, in, I think 32 years of, of writing for the newspapers in town, I don't think I ever missed the Thanksgiving because the Bengals were playing on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Not one time. Maybe Thanksgiving night in Dallas one year. But if that that that's it, one tops. Yeah, they need to get and on. And I was glad about that. You know, yeah. I, that was okay with me. I didn't yeah, want that's to cover right. a football that's game. Right. That's right. right. That's right. All right, Doc. Well, thanks for the time. Have a happy Thanksgiving. God bless you and your whole right, family. You uh, well. And enjoy yourself. Tell Jillian and everybody we said hello. All right. I'll do it. Thank you. All right, buddy. You bet. You bet. Oh, I wonder why that is. I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't the Bengals be? on Thanksgiving this year, right? Now, years past, they had crappy teams. I get it. But, I mean, who wouldn't want to see Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and all these guys play, whether or not you could care about the Bengals one way or the other? I don't mean for a Bengals fan. Aren't they the kind of team you'd want to watch? Why isn't Kansas City playing? I mean, to be locked in, and I think a lot of it has to do with sponsorship money, to be honest with you, because Ford spends a fortune with the National Football League and especially with Fox Sports. That's their number one sponsor, pregame show, whole nine yards. But, I mean, let's be honest about it. Watching the Lions every year has gotten pretty tired. <laughs> I couldn't I agree right? more. I couldn't agree more, but... They're they're feisty. They're 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 on a little bit of a streak here. I know they are, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And to kind of circle back to the why the Bengals might not be playing this year on Thanksgiving of uh, uh, I think it had to do mainly with Thursday night football for them already. Um, well, no was, doubt. But that was their big home reveal of the white stripes. I think that had something to do with it, maybe. Um, that was their Ring of Honor night. Yeah, that was their Ring of Honor night as well. So it was a big deal for them to, to have that Thursday night game at home. Whereas if they were to play a Thanksgiving game, it's either in Detroit, Dallas, or I'm drawing a blank on that. Well, this year, the other game is um, Minnesota and New England, I think, right? So yeah. you've, got, you've got Buffalo playing at Detroit. You have the Cowboys playing the Giants. And then I think the late night game on NBC, Thanksgiving night, is Minnesota and New England. Now, New England, I, I would get if you got Tom Brady. I think there's some loyalty involved in this. So, like, it's similar to why Major League Baseball allows the Reds to have their opening day or their home, you know, their the first game at home every year outside of obviously the COVID situation. I think that switched perhaps that one year, but uh, I just looked it up. It, also, it started on Thanksgiving day in 1934 when owner Rich, George A. Richards decided to play on the holiday to try to attract more fans. It worked. 
And I think the NFL just adopted the fact that the Lions get to play on Thanksgiving every year because he's the one that brought it to the forefront and to the table first. Okay. All right. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's become so much of a regular part of your Thanksgiving. And this year, as you point out, Casey, I call him the fighting Chris Spielmans because he took over as, as basically in the interim as the head of football operations, left the uh, broadcast booth at Fox. I was with him, had dinner with him the night before he made that decision. His last game was here in Cincinnati, strangely enough, with Fox uh, two years ago when he left to go um, and was hired by the Ford family to come in there and, and try and, and, and create a new atmosphere, environment, culture, whatever it might be. He was very instrumental in hiring uh, Campbell as the head coach. Uh, the general manager, and then Chris has pretty much stepped away and now is a, a liaison uh, between ownership and uh, those in uniform. Um, but they've done some nice things there. I, I don't know if golf is a guy in the long haul that can get you here. Do they have a fighting chance against Buffalo as well as Detroit is playing right now? I think they do. I, I, me and Casey were on the Lions train at the very beginning of the year. It didn't look too hot for a while, so that's that, that we kind of, uh, you know. You were on the train early in the year, you two I were? A, I never I, heard Casey say we, that. We took the over. You don't, I did. You, re, you don't remember me saying they're a sneaky wild card team when we made our predictions? You know what? Now that you say it, I do. Yeah, yeah we, we, we kind of lay load on that take for a while because it wasn't looking so good. So when you're wrong about something, you usually just don't bring it up again. But if we were right, you can – you can be damn sure that you would have heard of every single week we'd have come in here talking about how good the Lions were. But that's not been the case. But they've, they've three in a row. Don't let them get hot now. And, and, they're, and they're playing well. They are not only have won three in a row. I mean, they went in and just leveled the Giants. Just yeah. took it right to them. You know, you hear so much about a team being in the image of its coach. And I don't think there's any team in football that plays more in the image of its coach than the Tennessee Titans. Uh, that was well documented on the Monday night game or the Thursday night game a week ago when they were in Green Bay. There were seven coaches, head coaches, hired in 2018 in the National Football League. He is the only one left still in his job. And look what he has created there in Tennessee. But Dan Campbell uh, is a lot like Mike Vrabel. Smash mouth, tough. Hard-nosed player. Um, Detroit, basically, um, you know, they, they have been a very soft team for a long time. I liked Matt Patricia a lot as a guy. I liked him a lot. He, he you know, he comes across as this, you know, he looks like one thing standing there on the sideline with the long hair and a beard and all this kind of thing going on. He is a really good dude, and he's an excellent football coach. He's very smart. I don't know if he's a head coach, but – Dan Campbell all of a sudden has got those guys believing they can beat people. And look, let's be honest about it. Buffalo, Trace, as you pointed out, you know, they won that game over Cleveland over the weekend. But the two weeks prior to that, both losses, they did not look like one of the top two or three teams in the AFC. No, the only thing that I actually think that's kind of unique in this situation for Buffalo, they've been given a huge break. By being able to go to Detroit the week before, play in that stadium, yep. like it or not, and then also coming off of that short week, they're right back at the same place they just were. So I don't know if uh, someone's documented their travel. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if they just decided they were going to stay there the whole week in Detroit, which certainly has to be a little bit of a benefit versus traveling on short notice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one thing I, I did have a quick question about with the NFL marketing tactic, do you think they just put – 
to a certain extent, they were happy the Lions played on that Thursday because it's like, let's just put our – everyone's going to watch no matter what. Let's just put our bad product on Thursday, and then we'll give everybody a reason to come back on Sunday. Well, and you play them always against a good team. It seems like they always play a really good team that maybe you do want to watch, and Buffalo would certainly fit that bill. There, there probably is something to that. Um, all right, we're going to take a timeout, and um, we're going to talk to Marty Brenneman. Now, he is down in North Carolina. As some of you probably know, because he used to talk about it ad nauseum, he is a University of North Carolina alum, a Tar Heel, right? Their football team was cruising right along. And if you're a Tar Heel guy, he's down there in a little town called Salisbury where he started his broadcasting career a thousand years ago. And he was invited over the weekend to go watch North Carolina play football on Saturday they went in ranked like 12th in the country. They were 9-1, and one, something like that. Then they played Georgia Tech, who's terrible, right? Georgia Tech, 40-point underdogs against Georgia this week. So I'm safe to say Georgia Tech's not very good. They've already no. fired their head coach this year. Yeah. So he gets to go watch North Carolina all fired up, play football. They lose. And then he watched North Carolina the next day, or maybe that same night, I don't know, play basketball. So maybe he'll kind of give us a scouting report on the Tar Heels basketball team with college basketball in full force. Lots of tournaments all over the, the country, all over the world going on right now. That's where Paul Fritzner is today. Is Xavier is out in Portland. So is Huggy Bear in West Virginia, by the way. Uh, and Xavier will play on Thursday night. So back with Marty Brenneman off the bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're back in a minute. All right. As we mentioned, he's down there in North Carolina uh, hanging out with uh, all the highfalutin crowd down there, that Tar Heel crowd. I would imagine you had to be pretty bummed going to Keenan Stadium there on uh, Saturday. What in the world happened to your beloved Tar Heels? I wish I could tell you. I... Uh... You know, they scored on the first play from scrimmage, an 80-yard run by a very talented running back by the name of Elijah Green. And I said, this is going to be exactly like we thought it was going to be. It was going to be a good old-fashioned butt whipping, and it was brutal. I mean, Drake May, a long shot at best for the Heisman Trophy because he's a redshirt freshman, um, took himself completely out of the running for that, that honor. Um, overthrew receivers, threw behind receivers, uh, had a touchdown callback, uh, but it was a brutal. You, you can't lose to a Georgia Tech team playing their third and fourth string quarterbacks. You can't do that. Um, so now they've got to beat NC State on Friday. And then they play um, on December 3rd, they play Clemson and Charlotte for the ACC championship. So, you know, they, they got a tough road to hoe. The rumor down here is that even if they were to lose the championship game to the Clemson Tigers, uh, because of the way the, the, you know, the conferences are set up with agreements with bowl games and your number two team in your conference plays a number three team in another conference, the rumor is that even if they lose to Clemson, they will play possibly Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Mm. That would be not good for Tar Heel fans. 
Would you go down to that game? I mean, you went down to the University of Cincinnati game when they played in the Sugar Bowl many years ago in Urban Meyer's last game as head coach of the Florida Gators. Would you head down to that game? I would not. No, I would be very content to sit home and watch it on television. All right. I'm not Um, going to the the um and you did see the the, the top ranked Tar Heel basketball team in action, right? That was against I think James I did. Madison. They were outstanding. They well, the first half they were spotless. They were so good. Second half they came out and couldn't make a shot. They led by eighteen at halftime. Had that lead cut to eight, uh, but then ended up winning by sixteen. Uh, they got a lot of talent. They got some things to straighten out. Uh, they're going to be tested this weekend because they're playing in the Phil Knight Invitational out in Portland. Um, they play the host team, University of Portland, in the first game. And then if they if they win that game, they'll probably have to play Villanova. So they're going to be tested with some pretty good teams out there. But uh, they got a lot of talent. They got to just get these things straightened out. They're going to be awfully good. All right. Well, conversely, uh, you are really in tune with many who follow. You yourself used to broadcast television games for the Big Blue down in Lexington, yeah. Kentucky. Well, these last two games have not gone well for Cal and the boys. I know it's very early. They're loaded with talent. But, I mean, uh, I know you're down there in Carolina, but I have to believe you're already hearing it, whether it's from Amanda or from some others, that uh, not all is well in wildcat country well there's there's some people that are, are not happy with cal i mean you know it, it, granted the talent is there and talent's wonderful because you can't be any good unless you've got talent but then you've got to be able to parlay that talent into a cohesive group uh, a good rotation uh whether you play you know six seven eight nine players uh and they've got a lot of things to work out but I still maintain what I told you a couple of weeks ago. I think they're going to be awfully good. Um, I, I think that the talent will come to the forefront. Uh, you got to consider now who they played and who they lost to. Uh, they didn't lose to the Little Sisters of the Poor. Yep. Uh, Gonzaga beat them and beat them, beat them handily. Uh, but we'll see. I still maintain they're going to be awfully good, and I still maintain that uh, they will be a team that will be reckoned with as far as possibly going to the Final Four is concerned. All right. I want to shift gears with you to the Reds. Um, and, and, look, I understand from a fiscal standpoint the reason you would make the trade. But, Dad, uh, outside of Joey Votto coming back, um, who's been a fan favorite here for you know his entire career, when you when you trade Kyle Farmer, um, and I know they brought in the kid. Why am I drawing a blank from the Pirates? It's a lot like Kyle Farmer, Kevin Newman, cheap or Kevin Newman, Kevin thanks. Newman. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts on the team trading Kyle Farmer? I mean, it, it's very hard to find anything positive about the Reds unless you're talking about you know all these players they have in the minor leagues, and and we we've walked through this drill. Uh, you know, how many of them make it, how many of them don't, nobody knows. But 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 to start the season, all of them are going to be down in the minor leagues at various levels. Um, d- d- does it hurt you with a fan base more to trade Kyle Farmer right now? No, I was quite honestly rather surprised at the timing of that trade. Uh, I realized that he's arbitration eligible. At the same time, the speculation was that 
uh, you know, the arbitration suit, whether it went the distance or whether they settled, was not going to be any more than between five or six million dollars. Um, if that number, which quite honestly now, when you think about it, is chump change for most major league baseball teams. Um, I, I was surprised that they traded him when they did. I, I would have been trade. I would have been surprised, Tom, anyway, because I think Kyle Farmer was one of the great leaders on that team. Uh, I think you need veteran leadership, especially when you've got a team as young as this team is going to be. Um, and now I don't know where the leadership is going to come from now that Kyle Farmer's gone. Because when you think about the team minus uh, Kyle Farmer, uh, obviously the question arises, who's going to play shortstop? Uh, who's going to play third base? Uh, the, the question who is prevalent throughout this whole ball, ball club. Uh, and naturally, we're going to see some new faces down the road between now and the opening of spring training in Goodyear. But at the same time, uh, I would have done everything in my power to try and figure out a way to have kept Kyle Farmer there uh, to not only help the club on the field, but also to to utilize his great ability as a leader in that clubhouse. Because as I said, uh, if, if Joey Votto is going to be the leader, that's all well and good because you, you rely on his his veteran maturity and his experience. But Kyle Farmer was certainly a plus factor in every sense of the word uh, on that ball club. Trace, I know you had a question for Mr. Brenneman. Yeah, I'll, I'll phrase it a little differently after hearing him talk. But I, I think I've started following the Reds, obviously, in about the 2000 time frame. And since I've been following baseball pretty closely and the Reds specifically there's this team in St. Louis that seems to always get it right I don't know if it's maybe some of it's luck some of it's not you've been close to this situation for quite some time what's the difference in an organization like St. Louis who seems to always find themselves in pennant races and and going deep into playoffs versus Cincinnati who's not far from sad to say in my opinion Pittsburgh since I've been watching well, I, I think part of the difference is that, um, you know, when you've had the run of success the Cardinals have had, and when I say the run of success, that isn't prevalent. That, that's not uh, a statement that I would issue uh, unless they made the postseason. I don't think you have to say a team is only successful if it makes a postseason wins a pennant or wins a world championship. If you have winning season after winning season after winning season, which more often than not, let's face it, the Cardinals do, you have a winning atmosphere. Conversely, if you lose and lose and lose and lose, you have an atmosphere that exudes losing. And I think once you're stamped one way or the other, uh, it's hard to make it go away. Probably harder still uh, if, if you have a, an atmosphere of losing season after season and, and, you know, like it or not, the fact of the matter is the numbers don't lie as far as the res are concerned. And it takes a while to develop a redevelop that I can go back to the seventies and, and go back into the, uh, mid to mid eighties, all the way through, uh, for the most part, the decade of the nineties, when this club was winning more than it was losing. And you had players who knew how to win. When you have a young ball club, uh, many of whom uh, have spent little time or in some cases no time at all in the big leagues, uh, it takes a while. 
to learn what it is that you have to do to go out and win. And I think that, to me, is the biggest single difference right now uh, between the two organizations. The Cardinals go out expecting to win every year. And I think that starts at the top uh, with the baseball operation, but you also have to have the financial wherewithal in order to do that. And the Cardinals obviously have, have had that in abundance over the last however many years you want to talk about do you feel like it's – would you categorize it? And I would, I would argue that St. Louis, generally speaking, uh, and I might piss off some people in Cincinnati, but I would say it's kind of a, a better baseball town. Maybe it's because of the, of the winning attitude and the winning nature and what they've grown up with out in St. Louis, and that's why it's always, it's always packed. And, and conversely, in Cincinnati, it's not. But is it, is it largely because they're playing with different opportunities in St. Louis, that the ownership groups in St. Louis and the management in St. Louis have better opportunities there versus Cincinnati? Or is it generally just because of the quote-unquote clubhouse and the front office and management? No, I think it, I think it, it, it encompasses everything. Um, I, the, you know, I've, I've often maintained that from my perspective, the best fans in baseball are in St. Louis. Um, I can always go back, and I know this is a small thing, but it was something that drove it home to me back that that, that Father's Day afternoon when Ken Griffey Jr. hit his 500th home run. Uh, and they came up in mass with a standing ovation that lasted forever. And and I'm, that's not to say that the, the Reds fans don't appreciate a, a great talent from another club, but, uh, you know, those players can expect to tee it up every night when they're anywhere from 39 to 45,000 people in the ballpark. And I think that also uh, has a lot to do with it. Uh, the expectation is great in St. Louis every year because they're used to winning on a seasonal basis. And, and I think that also is brought to bear on the front office that they know uh, that the pressure's on them once the final out is made at, at one season, and now they're looking toward the beginning in a matter of six months or whatever it is to the next season, that they've got to do everything in their power to make sure that when that next season opens, that club is good enough to challenge and be an impact player in the division and also in the league. I know, Dad, that you are, uh, and we've talked about this before, you, you're high on Nick Crawl and what he's capable of doing as a general manager if he is given – uh, some freedom to spend a little money. Uh, we've seen some of the trades he's made, uh, w which look like they could be very, very good things down the road. You're a fan of his, right? I am. I, I truly am. I, I think, I think any general manager. I mean, let's 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 go back and look at the guys that exist right now that you would consider to be uh, successful general managers. And one thing that they all seem to have in common is a financial wherewithal to put within loose reason uh, the best team that they can possibly put on the field. And they have the financial wherewithal to go out and make every effort in the world to do that. Obviously, Nick does not have that. But um, I, I, uh, I look back on what he's done. Um, and and I, the only one that, that really stands out to me as a bummer of a deal last year was Mike Minder. I mean, they gave that guy, I don't know, $7 billion, $10 billion or whatever it was, and he was an absolute bust. And that was a waste of money. Now, I have to operate on the assumption that that was his deal. And if that was his deal, that was a terrible deal. Um, but aside from that, 
you know, you got to play the people that you have uh, at your disposal. Uh, I've never been a big fan of going out and signing an abundance of players to minor league contracts with an invitation and a chance to make the big league club in spring training. Very, very rarely do any of those people turn out to be a plus because they are coming from one or two or more organizations that had them at one time and that those organizations didn't feel like those guys could help them at the big league level and they let them go. And I just, I, if that's a financial deal, that's what you have to do uh, with the monies that you have at your disposal. Uh, that's a tough way to operate. Uh, I, but I still maintain that I think the guy has ability to, to be a winner given the right circumstances. And, and hopefully the time will come when we'll see that. Well, it's going to be a really interesting offseason um, to, to, to see what they do. Um, you know, I mean, I, he was kidding around a little bit, kind of off, off away from baseball for a second, but I, I was a little surprised. Maybe you're not surprised. You work with a guy all the time. I was a little surprised. Uh, Tracy Jones is coming on later today. He's not going to be at Reds Fest. How in the world is Tracy Jones not at Reds Fest? Don't ask me. <clears throat> I've often wondered why he's, he's not been there. Um, I don't know whether he's made somebody mad the ball at the front office. I don't know, but I, I, I could not agree with you more there. I think Tracy has become a, uh, a, a personality in that city. Um, he's, he's an asset to your, your show. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, the show that he and I do on uh, 700 WLW during the baseball season would never be nearly as what it, what it would be without him. Um, so I, I, that's, that's a $64 question. I can't answer that. Yep. All right. Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Casey, you want to say anything to Mr. Brenneman? Uh, you've been very quiet today. Well, uh, is Paul over there with him today? No, Paul is out. Uh, you mentioned North Carolina playing in that tournament out there in Portland. Uh, Xavier's also in that tournament as is West Virginia, by the way. So Paul is, uh, on a plane right about now on his way out to Portland to cover the Musketeers out there. Who the hell's paying for that trip? Not us, Well, no, not, not, not Chatterbox Sports. Grace is a boss, and he says, nah, baba, nah, as uh, Willie used to say. I think the Big East, to answer your question truthfully, I think the Big East, um, which we, we talked before Paul jumped on, he obviously mentioned having a relationship with the Big East. The Big East flew him out there, and what they have him doing, I'm not sure. There's, but... there, there's a couple of Big East teams out there besides just Xavier. Who else is out there? Is UConn out there? Hey, you're putting me on the spot. I, don't yes. I can't remember. UConn's out like there that. as yeah, well. Like no, you said Villanova, right, Dad? Do what? Villanova, are they out there? Yeah, Villanova's in Portland. Well, there, there you go. go. Villanova and Xavier, both in the Big East, are at that tournament. So Paul's out there on Big East money. Big money. Casey? No, I, I was just going to actually bring up um, just the fact that we did my basketball fandom uh, we chose what that was going to be. It ended up landing in the same division, the ACC, as your Tar Heels. And I was kind of hoping to get the Tar Heels. I ended up with Notre Dame. So, I, sorry, I got to root against your Tar Heels here. See, what well, we did was, Dad, we, sp I mean, we spun the wheel, Dad. We spun the wheel. We had a wheel here where you could spin it. And we we, just because of you, uh, we took out, what, four blue bloods, we called them, yeah. right? We took out Duke. We took out Kansas. 
We took out Michigan State and who and else? Kentucky. And Kentucky. So we left North Carolina in. And once we started spinning the wheel, it started with the conference. Then once we got to the ACC, which had won, we got down to the teams. And then we asked Casey, who was the mascot for Notre Dame? And he said the fighting leprechauns. So he is stuck with Notre Dame. Who got Carolina? Nobody. No. It was, it was strictly it was for just Casey. Casey. Casey didn't so have a So he had a college basketball team to root for this year. Oh, I see. Yeah. Did you do you have one? Me? Yeah. I root for the Ohio University Bobcats. They got jobbed the other night uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is not a surprise. They lost in overtime. Uh, but that they got guy jobbed. got the shot off. Are you telling me the guy didn't get the shot off in time? Yeah, they got jobs start back. to finish if you watch that game. They got jobbed. They got jobbed. Okay. Yeah. Right. They got jobbed. All right. Well, well it's always uh, another day. That's right. Happy Thanksgiving. Prediction on Thank the Buckeyes you the same v. Thing, Michigan. Safe travels. You have a prediction safe. on the Buckeyes v. Michigan? I'm a little concerned about that game, although if the running back quorum doesn't play for Michigan, then I think that enhances Ohio State. If he's healthy uh, and can rebound after suffering the injury last weekend, uh, the big question is, can Ohio State's defense stop Michigan's running game? Well, Urban Meyer is joining the program tomorrow. He never lost to Michigan. I will be sure to ask him, tell me, let him know that I want to know how they're going to stop Michigan's running game if everybody's healthy. Okay, good enough. Good enough. Dad, happy Thanksgiving. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. You too, son. Yes, indeed. Okay, take care. We love you. All right. So that is a footnote, programming note for tomorrow. Big interview Wednesday. And uh, we're going to talk to Urban Meyer about the game. He's going to be in Columbus for the game. The Fox pregame show is there. And then Fox televises that game at noon on Saturday. And and I'm going to tell everybody ahead of time, okay, here's the deal. We're going to talk to Urban Meyer not only about the game, but we're going to talk to him about his career as a college coach. We're not going to talk about the pro thing because uh, there are some things that are behind the scenes uh, you may have, have seen the, 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 the Lambo thing, the kicker that, that Urban, uh, you know, had some issues with when he was down there in Jacksonville. So there are some, um, some legal sort of things out there which he can't talk about. So we're not going to talk about, period. We're going to talk about his incredible coaching career, going back to when he actually started his coaching career at St. X High School in Cincinnati while he was playing football at the University of Cincinnati. And then he went on to Ohio State as a grad assistant, couple of other stops along the way, Notre Dame, and then leaves Notre Dame to get the Bowling Green head coaching job from there to Utah, from there to Florida, there to Ohio State, and, uh, and now working for Fox in their big noon kickoff pregame show. I want to know how Fox schedules that big noon kickoff from time to time. What part? It seems like some of the games they choose from a week-to-week basis are, are pretty tough. Like, why, why were they at Ohio State v. Indiana? Well, because it, it, it has to do with their conference alignment. You know, ABC, so the way that the way But don't they have Big 12, works. though? What's that? So that, don't they have a Big 12, Big 10 relationship? They do, but once you get into the season, um, two weeks ahead of time, you have a rotating 
um, um, what's the word I'm looking Game for? Game schedule, carousel? Well, you, you have where one week ABC ESPN gets the first pick. Gotcha. Okay, and then Fox would get the second pick and then right on down the line. So that's why, you know, sometimes you'll wonder, oh, what the heck are they doing at Indiana? You know, for Ohio State or Michigan at Indiana. Well, that, you know, that week they probably were third in the pecking order. They've been lucky this year in that the, their relationship with the Big 12 uh, they've been able to have TCU a couple of times right. at noon. Now, they have TCU on at four this week. They have Ohio – they being Fox. They have Ohio State, Michigan at noon. That's where the pregame show is there uh, on the Ohio State University campus. Um, and then the game, four o'clock, TCU's on. And, you know, in some cases, you throw in the wild card, which is Notre Dame, right? So, like, since Notre Dame is a visiting team – at USC this week. So now that pecking order, well, obviously, if you're a Fox, you've got the rights to the Big Ten. You're always going every year, no matter what, going to have Ohio State, Michigan. And that is a game which, by the way, has been always agreed upon. That will never be a night game. That is always, it always has been, and it always will be a 12 o'clock kickoff period end. But ABC has that um, USC-Notre Dame game because it is an away game for Notre Dame. And that's going to be a football game. To another good week of college football. Well, I mean, it, you know, look, you've played all season long for this final weekend and for teams like, and we discussed it a little bit yesterday, uh, for teams like TCU, uh, Ohio State, and Michigan. Uh you know, now Urban has made the case, and we're going to ask him about it tomorrow. I saw where it was a big story yesterday. Urban Meyer made the case uh, that Ohio State and Michigan should be in the college football playoff, even before they played. You've said the same thing, Trace. I, I don't think that's that. I don't think that's crazy. To, a crazy thought, personally. Um, I will say, I think Michigan's out of conference schedule needs to be needs to be punished at some point. If and I know why they did it because you scheduled these things so far out in advance. They were struggling to beat anybody four, five, six years ago, and they probably put Hawaii on the schedule and UConn on the schedule for a reason because they needed to get some some wins. Um, I have a, a quick little funny story about Urban Meyer that I had heard when I worked at Xerox. So when I was at Xerox, they made machines, obviously the, the copiers, yeah, and the the liner on these machines were navy blue. You know, that's just whatever. Everyone in the world got these right. these Xerox. Yeah, it's not like they made them specifically for one team or another. Well, Ohio State had a contract with Xerox when, we, when I was there. Don't know if they still do or not. Urban Meyer who ha so happened to be there as well. I don't know if this is a true story or not. I would that, bet money. I, I think I know where you're going. I'd bet money. So, so they bring these Xeroxes. I've, I was told the story. They bring these Xeroxes into the Ohio State Athletic Department, to the Woody Hayes Center, all, all the places, right? And, and, and they're blue. They are. They look like Michigan Navy blue to a certain extent. Um, I was told that Urban Meyer said that in the next 48 hours, every single one of these machines needs to be wrapped in scarlet and gray or something of that like and get the blue out of here. I was told that it was like hell for Xerox trying to run around and get these things figured out. But hey, that's, that just shows you that guy was intense, man. Listen, we're going to ask him about it tomorrow. If you really pay close attention, and I've been around this guy socially, playing pickleball and stuff like that, where he, you know, he'll show up, you got yeah. a pair of shorts on, a t-shirt, right? Nice summer night. 
And if you notice on television, I mean, you know, for guys like me, it was traveling all over the country. I mean, the most important piece of clothing you owned was a navy blue blazer, right? Because you could wear it with everything. Everything. Gray slacks, khaki pants, white shirt, blue shirt, striped shirt, wear it with everything. If you notice, you will never, never see Urban Meyer on television where he is wearing anything that has blue in it. We're talking like a thousand machines too, guys. I'm not talking like five machines in the right. athletic department. Like I was told that it was like it was like full fledged Xerox as a com company is trying to figure out how to fix this situation because Ohio State was demanding that they fix this, and that just shows you the power to be that some of these football coaches have. If Nick Saban says jump at Alabama, they ask how high. Same probably was said about Urban Meyer during that time. Frame. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, and you know, I, I want to ask him a little bit tomorrow. Um, because I called this game for Fox back when Fox had the rights to the BCS back in the old days before the college football playoff and had a chance to, to broadcast three national championship games. Two of those three, Florida won. They beat uh, Ohio State one year and they beat LSU uh, the other time. But, um, I mean, beat Oklahoma the other time, forgive me. Um, but... I always wanted to ask him, but when I've been around him, I never thought of it. But I wrote it down when I was getting ready last night for this interview, uh, writing some things down to ask him about, about how hard that was to coach against Ohio State in that championship game. Because, I mean, since he was a little kid, you know, born in Toledo, Ohio, grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio, it was all Ohio State all the time. And even though he has a great love for, you know, all the places that he's been um, and, and, and really a great love for Notre Dame, too. But for um, to coach against them, your first shot in the national championship game, you know, you forget. And look, I, we, we got people chiming in uh, in the chat room about, oh, the guy screwed up down at Jacksonville. Look, no doubt. But it's amazing. I was looking last night. He goes to the University of Utah. Okay? Leaves Bowling Green after two years. He goes to the University of Utah. And I was living out in Arizona at the time. His first year, he comes walking in the door at Utah. Now, he's got this guy named Alex Smith at quarterback. Right, And they're spreading it out. First time most teams in the country have seen this spread and all this sort of stuff. But Urban spread was a little bit different than other people's spread because it was still run first. If you look at all of his teams, they were dominant running teams, uh, whether it was you know, Utah, Florida, Ohio State, whatever it might be. But his second year there, they go undefeated. And you have to put it into context a little bit here, okay? He led them. It was like UC last year, not quite at that level because you're not playing for a national championship. But back then, whatever year that was, 2000, 2001, whatever it was, 02, they break into one of the BCS games. And they play Pitt out there in Arizona and just demolish them. And that's when he gets a job after that at Florida. They go undefeated. Uh, and I think they finished at Utah like fifth or something in the country that year in the final rankings. 
uh, and then off to Florida, and we know what happened from there. So we have lots to talk about. If any of you have anything you'd like us to ask Urban Meyer about tomorrow, uh, please do. We're getting all kinds of comments about uh, my dad talking about the Reds. Um, you know, 20-year uh, season ticket holder, USA veteran. We always salute you. Says he's not going to Reds Fest this year. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. First it, it, year it's it really, been back. Honestly, the Reds fandom is at an all-time low, and I, I think that there's a small hope that winning will fix it, as we've talked about before. If there's a chance that some of these guys, at Ellie De La Cruz, and you get the, Nor the Morte kid, and you, 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 you hope that these guys are good, but you never know. Until they get to the big leagues and they prove it, you never know. I just wonder, and this is what I was getting at, I look at guys that are obviously super wealthy, and I don't really know um, – I don't know the dynamics of, of ownership groups. I don't know how that works, et cetera. But I was looking at Bob Castellini last opening day, right? Not, not Phil, Bob. He's up on set. And he's considerably older. He, he, he looks, you know, not, I'm not saying he's on his deathbed or anything like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he's older. And I feel like when you get older, uh, you start to realize and rationalize that death is going to happen at some point. And not, maybe not the near future, but the future. At what point is Bob thinking in his mind, or Phil, or, or someone in that ownership group, it's like, you know what? I would rather die and have less money and be beloved by a bunch of people for bringing some product that I own than just, than just creating wealth. Like, at some point, doesn't that come to your head? Don't you, don't, wouldn't you consider, like, you have a special privilege and an opportunity to control and to enrich the lives of millions, quite frankly, but thousands of people, certainly within your community, within Cincinnati, a place that you live, I would just think at some point you realize, you know what, what if I die with $500 million instead of $700 million in my bank? Is it, is it, is it worth it? I mean, I know it's easy for me as a peasant to sit here and say that, but I'm just wondering, at what point does that mindset my, my, mind shift in that direction. All right, well, I, I, I'm going to play, play the counter-argument to that because, because here's the thing, right? It's the old chicken and the egg thing, okay, when it comes to the Reds. I'm so tired of hearing that Cincinnati is a great baseball town. I want to get sick. Oh, you and me both. Okay, because here's the deal. There were years there in 2010, 2012, 2013, 2014, there was three years ago when they went out and they brought in Moustakis and they made the deal for Trevor Bauer and they did all of these things. Castellanos, yep. Castellanos. They spent a ton of money for a market this size. They had a team payroll upwards of $150 million or more, okay? The Reds to this day, to this day, big red machine, playing in a 55,000-seat stadium. The best team, arguably, in the history of baseball. Okay? And now fast forward to that, you know, five-year window there, okay, where, where they had teams, uh, the 12 team, even though Bronson Arroyo, you know, pointed out what he thought the shortcomings were of that team. The bottom line is that was a really good team. They won 95, 97 games, whatever it was. The Reds have never drawn 3 million fans in a season in the history of the franchise. You could count on one hand the number of times 
the Reds have drawn 2.4 million or more. Okay, so look, I hear you and I hear a lot of you when you're talking about, you know, not spending the money and why don't they spend more money and all those kinds of things. I'm not going to argue that, okay? But I will say this. If you wonder why, and my dad touched on this a minute ago, if you wonder why the St. Louis Cardinals are able to spend the kind of money that they spend in a very similar size market, the Cardinals can be an 82-win team. And falling out of bed, they're going to draw 3.2 million fans. Every single year. Every single year. I love, I, I, can't, I love that you're on that take. I, I've, I don't know if you remember this. and I wanna, I, We've gotten in literally arguments. You know how we get in this office. I've gotten in red-faced arguments with Reed Mouse about this subject. I don't think it's a baseball town, personally. I also think that in 2012, when they were playing for it all, game five of the NLDS at the time against the Giants, yep. Reed says he can pull up pictures to prove me wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I went to all three of those games. That third game, which was on, I believe, um, was a, it was a during a day. They right? were all Mid- day week. games. They were all day games, but that one was during the week, I believe, regardless. I, I remember vividly sitting in my seat around the first pitch, and you correct me if you can remember this and be wrong, I'm telling you, half of the upper deck was empty. I don't know about that. Okay. I, for whatever reason, that image sticks in my head. I just remember half of the upper deck being empty. Now, I will be, to be fair to Cincinnati fans, there were, I believe, three midweek games in a row all during the day. Okay. Uh, the, the first game was a night game, right? I think that, that's wrong. The first game they came back for him in 2012 was a night game. Chat might be able to correct me. Um, I don't know. I just, I just wish the fandom, the fan base, if we do become good again, the fan base has to support this team. Okay, just a couple of things here. And, and I, was, I was slightly off depending on the time frame they were doing it, okay? In, I meant game five, sir. In 2010, when the Reds won the division, they had a team payroll. Now, you're talking 23 years ago, 23 seasons ago. Okay, in 2010, they had a team payroll of $75 million. That was a lot of money, okay? That was um, 12th, okay? They drew exactly 2 million fans. 2 million. Barely got there. And that was the last couple of games of the season. In, they spend $80 million, 10th out of 16. Now, that, that's not huge up the totem pole, but it's still $80 million. They draw $2.3 million. That's a team that lost to the Giants. The next year, they spend $106 million. They draw two point four. They have not drawn $2 million since 2016. Now, they had the COVID year, okay? But in 2019, they spend $109 million. They draw 1.8. So they spent 120 million in 2020, but fans couldn't come into the ballpark. But all I'm saying is, is that when you look through the history of the franchise, even going back to the 1970s, the best team in Major League Baseball, 
1975, they drew 2.3 million. In a stadium that seats 56,000 fans. In 1976, year after winning the World Series, the high water mark of all time in the history of the franchise was 2.6 million dollars, 2.6 uh, million fans. They barely got to two and a half and 77 on the back of back-to-back World Series championships. So, you know, look, I'm never going to bash fans for not coming to games. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. I don't want you to tell me how to spend my money. If you want to spend money to go watch a baseball game, a football game, a movie, uh, whatever you want to do, that's your business, not my business. But before people start pounding ownership, I think, uh, at least baseball ownership, and I'm not here to defend the Castellinis. I mean, they could have given me a chance to get my job back. They didn't do it. It's their decision. They're allowed to make that decision. They're the boss. But if you own the baseball team uh, and, and you put out the best product you can possibly put out and the best you're going to do is $2.5 million, that's sobering. Is it not? Yeah. I, I, I just wonder. I think it's a combination of a multi, of multitude of things, right? You have an ownership group that has decided in small spurts to spend money and try to put on a winning product, like it or not, people can say what they want, but you brought up a great point. The whole COVID year when they brought in Bauer, Castellanos, uh, Moustakis, et cetera, et cetera, they spent money. And to be fair, we, to a certain extent, won. Now, we didn't win to the level in which we'd hoped, but Moustakis obviously has been a complete and utter bust. Totally. So at some point, you got to then put some of the ownership on the front office. And as much as, you know, I hear good things about Nick Crawl personally, uh, still, I'm still waiting. I'm still the jury's still out, as they say. I'm not. I'm not so sure. I'm all in on him either, just based off some of the decisions that he's made. And Mike Miner's one of them. And maybe he got pressured into doing that because he didn't. You know, the whole Cassianos thing came out. Yep. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just a different cat. But if you're Nick Crawl, at some point, I know you've worked your whole life to get that position. But if you don't think that you're being fairly, fairly. Uh, not compensated is the right word, but you're not given a fair chance to do your job appropriately. You know, at some point you walk into that office and say, I'm either I'm either going to get this or I'm not, and I'm out of here. Now, I know that's crazy to say, but that's kind of the mindset I would like to see some folks take down there at Great American Ballpark. If I can't do my job the way that I think I should do it, that's fine. I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to leave. Well, but there are only 30, 32 of those. I, I understand that, but at some point, like I said, how much money does one need to make before you just realize that this just isn't worth it? Well, this is GM money, though. Yes. I mean, that guy's got, you know, young kids at home, and, and, <laughs> and he's been waiting his whole life making peanuts in baseball ops. Correct. And now he's one and of the two guys and, on the planet, right? And, and, I mean, and, he's got to make his money while he can make it. And there lies the issue of corporate America, though. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're back with Tracy Jones. We'll pick up this conversation with Tracy when we come back. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We call it the best 30 minutes of television. Comes your way twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11.30. Although we will not be joined by Tracy Jones this Thursday because it is, of course, Thanksgiving. And we're going to ask you a little bit later on, Tracer, all the things you have to be thankful for. Now, look, I can't tell where you are today. Are you still in Florida? No, no, no. We've... Uh... We've started our trip north. We're in Gulf Shores, uh, Alabama, at a Red Roof Inn. Please don't 
please don't tell anyone that I stay at a Red Roof Inn. It was all because of the dog. You know, they got coffee makers in this room, believe it or not. I have no issues with the Red Roof Inn. I've stayed in a number of them in my life, and I have no problem at all. You know, on a serious note, um, um, I hear Gulf Shores, Alabama is a nice place. It's, it's right, very, it's right on the Gulf, right? I mean, the beach and everything out there. Right on the Gulf. It's very, very nice. Um, there's not many people right now. But you can see where it's pretty touristy. You know how, and Danae says, hey, let's take a trip down the Gulf, right? And she says, I think it'll be nice. She says, I think it'll be like uh, Highway 1 in, in California. You know how you take it from San Francisco, yeah. Big Sur, Santa Barbara, uh, Los Angeles, and all the way to San Diego? She says, I think it'll be that nice. Let me tell you, it's not that nice, but it's not bad. <laughs> it, it, it's all in all, it's pretty good. Hey, if if Trace is there, or can you leave a message for him? Because my he's wife- He's here, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's right here. Trace Fowler's sitting right here. Go ahead, Tracy. You can, you can direct this right to the man. Trace, my wife came to me this morning, and because we're doing so much traveling, she wants to do a travel and leisure show on Chatterbox. Is there any chance of us doing a show on Chatterbox Travel and Leisure. And Tom, do me a favor. Please don't tell your dad about this because he and Amanda will jump all over it and steal our thunder. Please, let's just keep it between us. Trace? Anything for you, Tracy. If, if you think that you can direct that, produce it, send it over to us, we'll get it on the internet. What well, do you think about that? Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem, and I just want my... Danae wants to wear a bikini, okay? I, I, I think, well... She's got that overflow, like a, a muffin top a little bit, but she's double nickels. You know, that's, I think she looks pretty good. I think she's sexy. She wants to be, uh, wear a bikini. Here's the problem, okay? She wants me to wear a Speedo. My God, guys, I haven't worn a Speedo since the early 80s. I don't know if I can handle that. Do you know did how you, tough it is to wear Did you just say the early 80s? So, like, yes. back in the days when the Reds, when you were in spring training with the Reds, uh, back in the old Tampa, Florida days, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing, you were walking around in your 20s in, in a Speedo? No way Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. You got to be confident in your body. I got to tell you a story about the Speedo, real quick story. You know, when I went, like I'd go to the beach in Manhattan Beach or I'd go to Malibu and I'd wear my Speedo and everybody wore a Speedo. My best friend, Kook, uh, he was rather, he was hung like a field mouse. So he comes to me one day, he says, Trace, can I, I'm going to go to the beach today. I says, okay. He says, I'm going to wear a Speedo. I said, Kook, you sure you want to go there? He says, yeah. I says, well, don't forget to bring a banana. So all of a sudden, so he says, so you need that banana for your Speedo. So all of a sudden I see Kook at the beach and I look at him and I go, Kook, where's your banana? He turns around, he put the banana in the back, not the front, Tom. Who does that? People made fun of him for years. Tracy, I, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time believing that you wore a Speedo because I mean, you were nicknamed the tripod for a reason. There's no way that you wore a Speedo with a nickname like that. you're missing the point. 
I didn't have to put a banana in the front. I didn't have to do that. But Kook did. But that poor bastard puts it in the back. I said, Kook, it goes in the front of the Speedo, not in the back. Was he oh, the uh, was he the uh, valedictorian of your graduating class? No, no, no. He's um, it's a rather sad story. He lives out in North Dakota, on a farm. All he has is his animals. Um, never, never, ever dated. Um, and he has animals. His one animal is a gerbil. His name is Stinky. And he's a very neat animal. You gotta have gerbils are very cool, Tom. You ever seen them? I have. We used to have them at our house pretty regularly. Had the wheel going, you know, in the whole nine yards. It's yeah. fun to watch them. Yeah, that was a hamster, there. not a not a <laughs> Maybe, not yeah. a uh, well, gerbil. you can have hamsters, gerbil. It doesn't make any difference. We were having a conversation. Uh, before you joined in, uh, you know, Tracy, that old chicken and the egg thing, okay, about, about um, life in general. But in this case, we're talking about sports. And the Castellini family has come under a lot of fire uh, for not going out and spending a lot of money. And, and, and that case can be made. That's fine. Um, but I made the comment. That if you look back in the history of the franchise, not one time in the very rich history of the Cincinnati Reds franchise in a place they say is a baseball town, not one time has this franchise drawn 3 million fans in a year. The high all time was 2.6 million. And Tracy, that was in 1975 when they played in Riverfront Stadium where you played as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, a stadium that held 56,000 people. They had arguably the best team in the history of baseball. They have never drawn 2.7 million fans. And people want to compare the Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals as an example. You, right. you know it and I know it. The Cardinals could win 74 games in a season and they'll draw 3.2 million people into the ballpark so they can spend a lot more money. From a player standpoint, the chicken or the egg, Fans come first, you spend a lot of money, or do you spend a lot of money to bring in the fans? Well, you had the and best do the team fans in... even show up when you do spend money? Well, you had the best team in the history of Major League Baseball, right? And you still couldn't hit three million. What'd you say, 2.7 million yep. fans? I mean, I don't, I used to say this on extra innings. What the hell do you people in Cincinnati have to do than, you know, go to a baseball game, right? What are you going to do? Go to Get a Fest? I mean, you would think you'd have 3.2 million going to Reds games. I think it's disappointing. They talk about Cincinnati and being a baseball town. I cannot disagree with you more because I've seen some pretty decent teams and they don't draw at all. I mean, I've been to games where you play the Pirates or the Brewers and there's, you know, 8,000 fans. Hell, the team in Las Vegas, AAA draws more than the Cincinnati Reds. It's very sad. And I don't know the direction of this organization's going in, but just to be spending money to be spending money, it doesn't make sense to me. Here's how you do it. There's a formula. You build up your farm system. When those guys get ready, then you you filter in some high-end free agents, maybe a pitcher, maybe a position ball players. Look at what the Marlins have done. Marlins have done it, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, twice they've made runs. 
Yes. So well, they've won Florida two World lot, Series. But, you, they, but, yep. but, but you, you've had you've had the Florida the Florida Marlins now the Miami Marlins. Uh, You've had the, the, the Marlins that started in 1993. They joined the league the same year the Colorado Rockies did. You had the Tampa Bay Rays and the Arizona Diamondbacks come into Major League Baseball in 1998. Of those four teams, expansion teams, the most recent expansion teams in baseball. So Marlins, they've won two World Series, right? Right. This is since the Reds won their last World Series since they last played in the World Series. Okay, the Marlins have won two of them. The Rockies have played in the World Series. The Diamondbacks have played and won a World Series. The Tampa Bay Rays have played in the World Series, but not won the World Series. Right. I, I want to finish up a couple, a couple of other things here about attendance real quick, okay? And this was in the Castellini family at the time. But I'm just going back to the whole argument about whether Cincinnati is a baseball town. The year the team won the World Series in 1990, they had the fourth highest payroll in the National League. Okay? So you're talking about New York, L.A., right? St. Louis, right on down the line. They drew – they won the World Series. They drew 2.4 million. Now, normally – when you win a World Series, you see an enormous bump in attendance the following year, right? You know, off the heels of winning think, a World yes. Series, okay? In 1991, yep, yep. they had the third highest payroll in the National League behind only the Mets and the Dodgers. They drew fewer fans in 91 than they did in 1990. They drew $2.3 million. Go back even a little further. One of the best Reds teams that, that I can remember. Now, some will say this is because of the strike, okay? But in 1994, Davey Johnson comes to town. The team wins, and then you have the strike shuts it down. They come back the following year. A lot of people all bent out of shape about the strike, and I understand that. They have the sixth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. They draw 1.8 million fans. 1.8. Okay, can I throw something out? And I'm not saying this is the reason, but you got to think about it. Do you ever think about that fans stay home because they listen to your dad and Joe Nuxall back in those days? Well, look, Tracy, think about I, I, that? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. There may be something to that, but... Tom, people, I mean, come people on, Tracy. They, they, they had Jack like Buck. Money. They had Tracy. They had Jack Buck in St. Louis. Okay, they had Vince. Now, people, Los Angeles, a different animal. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stay yeah. with with a, a similar market here. Okay, Jack Buck, okay. one of the most legendary announcers, like my dad, like Scully, like Harry Carey, like some others. Okay, they they have some of the most legendary announcers uh, in, in baseball. You can sit so there and listen to the radio and your headset sitting in the stands. Right, but you still had that delay and that was I a problem. Although your dad really your dad really mastered that. He just delayed his call five seconds. He, he had to work <laughs> on that in the offseason. What do you think the problem is, Tom? Because I'm not sure I know. I think it's people's spending habits in the Midwest. I mean, look at Cleveland. Remember Cleveland used to sell out every single game i think they have the record don't they or the yep. dragons i think have the record and then right. all of a sudden even this year they had terrible attendance and they had a great great year 
I don't know. Maybe that's a Midwest, but you'll throw it back at St. Louis, right? Well, I mean, how they draw. I I, I don't know. I can't understand the Cleveland thing. Um, I just think that whatever they're doing in Cleveland, especially when it comes to their minor league system producing pitchers. And look, part of the blame here is on the the developmental side. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it, because for whatever reason, um, the Cardinals aren't spending any more money on their minor league teams than the Reds are spending on their minor league teams. Okay, I mean, I don't know if they're paying coaches more or whatever the case may be. You tell me. But it seems okay, let, like... Let me, let, me, let me educate you people. Please. Okay? I'm going to really be serious here. No joking okay. around serious. Okay. It's all about player development. Yep. Let me give you some examples. Okay, When I was coming up, okay, our instructional ball team. The instructional ball team is where you take your top players in every organization and you play against other organizations in the, the fall. Right? It's called instructional ball, and I don't even know if they have it anymore. Let me t- let me listen to this team, Tom. Are you ready? Yep. Our catcher was Joe Oliver. Our first baseman was Lloyd McClendon. Our second baseman was Jeff Treadway. Here we go. Larkin and Stillwell were the shortstops. Chris Sable and the all-time pinch hitter Lenny Harris was our third baseman. In left field was Cal Daniels, Eric Davis, Paul O'Neill, Tracy Jones. All of us. And when we played in instructional ball, none of us had reached double A. Let me give you some pictures. Tom Browning, Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, John Franco, who came over in a trade. I mean, those are some of the pl- Jeff Montgomery, who Pete Rose never liked and traded him. I mean, that's someone you build, right? That's an organization. And two or three years later, you win the World Series. So it starts with the minor leagues. And, and the talent down there. But Tom, we would play against other organizations and beat the crap out of them. And I used to say, hell, if I was playing in the Detroit organization or the Philly organization, hell, I'd be batting third, not in front of Schmidt. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Organizations had no players. All of us, all of us made it to the big leagues. And you can't find many organizations like that going back. But it starts with scouting. That's what it starts with. Top scouts. Okay, but it starts with scouting and drafting players, okay? And here's where you get into the whole thing, okay? And I know you were the number one pick in the supplemental draft. Um, right. But, 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 okay, but you go back and, and look, uh, the, the, the world is filled with um, teams that had the top two or three pick and they were able to get the Barry Larkins or the Tracy Jones or the Ken Griffey Juniors or whoever it might be. But it's also filled with guys uh, that you missed on. And, and there was an entire decade there where the Reds missed on every single number one pick. I mean, they're drafting okay, this let- guy and that guy, and this guy gets hurt and that guy gets hurt. You can't blame the guys that get hurt, but you know what I'm saying. But, but here's what I'm asking you. Do you get the feeling, and, 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 and you're not having to go back that far because your son was a high draft pick. So you were going to these showcase events. You were going to his high school games and seeing what scouts yeah. were there or what scouts weren't there, whatever it may be. Are there some teams that are better at scouting amateur players than other teams? Great, great question. Uh, me and your dad talked about this on our show during the year. You know who's really good at picking players? The Dodgers. You know, you can say they spend a lot of money. 
right? And they do. But their farm system is top notch. I think they're ranked second now. And they keep getting rid of players to get that trade like they did with Washington to get Scherzer. I mean, they gave away about three top picks to get Scherzer. I mean, you have to have that farm system. And the Dodgers, and correct, I don't know about this. I'm probably speaking out of turn. Those scouts have probably been there a long time. If you look at the Reds, it seems like they bring scouts in and out. And I don't think that's very good. And also, the head of player development is a very important guy. I've talked about him before, and he was our guy during player development, was a guy by the name of Jimmy Hoff. He passed away. Jimmy Hoff built that farm system. Chief Bender and Jim Hoff built that farm system that I was talking about. Jim Hoff moved over to Toronto. And you know where he ended up? Tampa Bay, building that farm system. I mean, he was outstanding. So it starts down here. But that ownership, which this ownership doesn't do, you've got to add those players when you think you got a chance. Okay. Trace, you have anything you want to, you want to tack on to that? Because you're a big baseball guy. Yeah, unfortunately I am in Cincinnati. It's tough. Uh, but I have a question about the culture. So I think that the, some of the – there's a multitude of issues obviously go into this. If it was a simple fix, then, then we would just do it and get on with it and we'd win in Cincinnati. But right. this, cult, this culture of – of what we have now feels like everyone's out for themselves. You have guys that are trying to get break into the big leagues and just stay there. I don't think that there's this mindset at all within a locker room or even within maybe the organization from AAA into the big leagues of winning games. Do you think, and you've brought this up time and time and time again on the show, of all of those guys you came up with, do you think that right. there's something to the idea of putting all of your Ellie De La Cruz, your Nortes, all of these guys that you just got that you think are going to be the next crop of guys? Do you think there's something to putting them all on one team, whether it be Double A or Triple A, and then kind of slowly bringing them maybe all together if they all can obviously rise to their individual occasion? Because it just seems like right Price now. You bring a guy up, yeah. and he's fighting for his job like a Barrero, has unbelievable stats in AAA, comes up, tries to prove himself in the big leagues, falls apart, then he's gone. And it happens time and time again. But you know what, Trace? We had that, and I can only speak for the Reds, because you know our outfield in, in Denver was me and Cal Daniels, Eric Davis, and Paul O'Neill. The third baseman was a guy by the name of Chris Sable. Our shortstop was Perry Larkin. I mean, you start going through, that's a pretty damn good team. And needless yeah. to say, we won the league. So we were together. And what was neat about that is I was in competition with other guys, Paul O'Neill and Cal Daniels. I had the utmost respect for those guys. I mean, you look at those guys, they could really, really play. So we would look at each other and go, you know what, we're a lot better than those other players. And it just made for a team and an organization that thought they could win. I won championship playing in A-ball in Tampa. I won in Burlington, Vermont, and I won in Denver. <laughs> All three, divi three divisions, or uh, A-ball, double A, and triple A, we won the championship. So we were used to winning. It took a couple years, but the team won in 1990. It's one of those big things that I really regret not being part of. It's kind of sad because I remember watching them win the World Series and, and Todd Benzinger catching the last, last out. I was in West Palm Beach. I said, boy, I wish I was there because playing with all those guys, I was happy for them. All right, Tracy, uh, before I let you go today, it has been pointed out by dozens and dozens and dozens of people in our chat that as you are sitting there um, in the Red Roof Inn, 
Gulf Shores, Alabama. Many people are pointing out, said, uh, you know, there's two beds in that room. There's two double beds Boy, your in that room. Is- uh, you know, uh, Jim wants to know, said it kind of reminds me of Mr. and Mrs. Wilson on Dennis the Menace. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of people I wondering, you know, what's going on down there. Because you've well, been very me, hard just- on Danae on this program. I mean, you have worn her out when it comes to um, her choice of well, accommodations on places where you guys have been staying, whether it was down in Mexico. Right. I think you referred to that six-star resort as a dump. Um, and then you went on to say that the house you rented uh, down on the Gulf side of Florida here the last couple of weeks was also a dump. Um Anything you want to share, or would you just rather yeah, stay away I, from that topic? No, no, we, we're catching a situation. There's no doubt about it. But, Casey, this is what you have to look forward to when you're married <laughs> for 13 years. You see that? No action. No, pulling no wool, and then going back, pulling no wool. So 13 years of marriage, that's what it gets you. Two separate queen beds. And you know who Tucker slept with last night? Danae. Danae. I'm all by myself, and don't think I'm not going to go to that Taylor Swift concert and get me some phone numbers so I can get a, a, a Mrs. Jones number three. Because I will. I ain't messing around. Uh, Casey, do you guys that- in your in your new crib that you moved into? Do you have a pair of double beds? We do not. You don't. No, we sleep together in the same bed. You do. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what do you think about have, that sleeping I- in the same bed together and they're not yet married? How would you feel about that if, you, you know, your son or daughter, w- 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 you know, had that going on? They're not married yet. And they're sleeping in the same bedroom? The same I think bed? you just said that, didn't you, yeah. Casey? Yeah. Oh, how dare you? That's <laughs> disgusting. That's disgusting. Why even get married? Why pay for the cow when you're getting milk under the fence? Right? You know that old saying that I just made up? That's so, an old saying. I'm going to tell you. You know, I'm going to tell you guys right now. We thought Tom Brady had FSB. I've got a huge case of that, and I don't know what to do. Does anyone have a suggestion for me? Trying to see if uh, anybody's shot. Everybody just keeps commenting about the separate beds. Um, It was a great observation. There's no doubt. Said, uh, you know, the point was made. Um, Even Robert Reed from the Brady Bunch. Slept in the same bed as Florence Henderson, Mrs. Brady. Well, let me let me just tell you, if you know anything about Robert Reed, uh, Carol was safe. Get <laughs> Tom, you have to admit, that's a great pickup on my part. It is. It's very quick. <laughs> and there's no doubt I about it. I love Robert Reed. He was a great actor. I did, too. He was awesome. Uh, yeah, he some was. said when they turned this on today, Mike said... He thought we had Will Ferrell on and not Tracy Jones because Tracy's a high roller who stays in um, six-star resorts. Boy Wonder says the Red Roof Inn greater than the palatial estate in Bellevue. Well, I think sometimes you got to take a step back and see how the Ham and Eggers really live. I mean, just kind of experience. Um, 
You know, you, I just, you talk about being thankful with Thanksgiving. I'm just thankful that I got FU money. That's what I'm thankful for. <laughs> have you, have you, have, has there been any encounter? I don't know how long you've been at the Red Roof, man. Maybe only one night. Uh, has there been any encounter that sort of, you know, made you realize how lucky you are after seeing person X fill in the blank that perhaps uh, you saw outside the room or, you know, checking in or, or maybe at the Waffle House or something like, you probably don't go to Waffle House. I love Waffle House, but you know what I'm saying. I actually went to the Cracker Barrel for the first time. I well, that's that a big league joint. Good. Love Cracker Barrel. Very underrated. I yes. got steak, three eggs, those casserole hash browns, and biscuits and gravy for like thirteen fifty. I mean, and then you add a quarter or fifty cents onto that, it's fourteen dollars for a tip and everything. <laughs> um, you know what I did, Tom? I, last night I was very nervous because you know I got a nice car, I got a Range Rover, right? So I'm thinking these poor bastards are gonna to try to steal my catalytic converter. So I'm like up every half hour and you've got Tucker sitting on the bed going Rrr. So I'm looking out the window and I see this couple, you know, the one girl missing all her teeth. You know how it is in Alabama. And I was just, I was just thankful that I have all nice teeth. <laughs> they like their football down there. Yeah, they love their football yeah, down they there, do. Tracer. Tracer, before I ask but not, my dad. Hey, listen. Yeah. No, no, Go I ahead. don't want to make fun of people with no teeth because remember that swinger couple, that woman had no teeth, right? She was from Great Britain. Remember her? Well, you the said swinger. she had bad okay. teeth. You didn't say she had no oh, teeth. Oh, she was missing a couple of teeth. Not that that's a bad thing. Okay. All right. Well, um, Tracer, Happy Thanksgiving to you on a series. Right, where are you spending Thanksgiving? Are you going to be back here in town or are you going to just stay there at the Red Roof Inn? And what are you going to do? No, we're going to be we're going to be traveling. There's some friends. I think that we're going to go over and spend Thanksgiving. They want us to bring a dish. I don't know what to bring. I know your dad, when he came over to bring a dish, he brought jello molds. I mean, who brings a damn jello mold? <laughs> and then have you ever had Marty? Marty sometimes likes to bring those um, prune juice popsicles. He yes, says yes, he does. He makes them. He makes those. those. Yes. What should I bring over to my friends? What, what kind Casey, of? Casey, uh, it's just point. right up your alley. What do you think? You know, uh, maybe you should uh, take a page out of the Ham and Agar book and get some like onion dip or some there you some go other sort of dip you know like maybe i was thinking maybe just dip. yeah i was thinking maybe just ice for my uh gray goose straight up <laughs> what about idea. that would that be too i mean that's not much it, you know it's the, it's a thought that counts right tom so you really don't know if you're you're going to be at somebody's house for thanksgiving i mean you haven't decided that you're just going to show up we don't you know? know we're just kind of winging it you know, that's the way my wife works. A very free spirited, you know, California, California girl, California girl. girl. Yeah. She doesn't like structure. Uh, Bit of a swinger. She likes two. Yeah. She likes two separate beds. Uh, she's, she's a different girl. She really is, but I love her. She's very, very nice. I don't know about that travel and leisure to see her in a bikini. I mean, at double nickels, and a little bit of overhang, I, muffin top. I'm not sure. Now I'll be just fine in that speedo. Remember, remember, Casey, Trace, banana in the front, not in the back with the speedo. 
I think I'm going to pass on the Speedo. Don't forget that uh, case. I'll not, I, I won't forget. Are you forget. going somewhere warm on your honeymoon? Um, we are oh, still we're still trying to figure that one out. Okay. But I go. think we were originally going to go to Europe. That uh, that plan kind of didn't backfire. We just had a had a different circumstance. Yeah, it was over your head. Up, yeah. I mean, we we thought we were going to go there for for pennies, but ended up not being the case. Okay. Uh, that that Foolish. deal fell through. But what we're, about we're what about a night? Yeah, what about a night just at the Gray Wolf Lodge there in Mason? That might be just a good starting point. I think hey. they've got an outback there off the exit. Uh, they do. I think that would be good. They do. They do. Right, Tom? Yes, they do. That's right where up did there you in Mason. Go, Tom? That's where you live, Casey. Yeah. It's right down it's right the road. There. It's right down the road. Where did you go, Tom, on your honeymoon? Uh, we went to Bora Bora. You rich son of a gun. I brought that's a nice. dog back, Tracy, on that trip. I brought a oh, dog that's home right. from that trip. Okay. so That, that blind that, dog. Well, no, no, no. That's another dog. But but this oh, one's since passed, dog. Bora. But she, God rest her soul, she lived a long time. And that was the highlight of the, uh, it all pretty much went south uh, right after getting off the plane after that. But um, all good. What, what, with the relationship or the dog? <laughs> More the relationship. The dog was fine. <laughs> Tracy, enjoy the Red Roof Inn. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, boy. All right, so I'll see you guys next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, oh, oh, so safe travels. By, by the way, uh, in two weeks, I'm going to Mariner Fest. I know I wasn't invited to Reds Fest, but when you play for five major league teams, you get invited. I'm going to Mariner Fest. I'm actually going to the meet and greet. They're going to have Bill Gates. Uh, who's the guy from Amazon? Bezos. And I think Warren Buffett's going to show up for the meet and greet. Very excited about that. Mariners Fest. Yeah, isn't Tracy Jones going to that too? Tracy Jones is going. That's I'm very know. excited. <laughs> and, and you know what's crazy, guys, and I'll end on this, is, you know, here you have Randy Johnson and Ken Griffey Jr. and Edgar Martinez and all these guys. A-Rod, A-Rod, A-Rod. A-Rod. And what does people want to talk to me about? My fight. The longest fight in baseball history. Trace, what was it like to start that fight? 22 minutes. That's all people want to talk about, Tom, is my fight. Come on. Made you a gamer, Trace. It doesn't matter. Yeah, makes me feel good, though. Still remembered in Seattle. Only played one season. And they asked me back. Here I play for the Reds. Th three years with the Reds. 20 years doing extra innings. And don't even get an invite. To Reds Fest. How about that, Tom? You that's like not, that? That's not good. No, nope. that is not no. good. I mean, I you know that's just not good. All right, Tracer. Happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. All right, happy Thanksgiving. You guys take care of yourself now. Have a good All time. Right, you too. So he travels too, back Tracy. to uh, Bellevue, Kentucky. The Tracer. It's a great point about Reds Fest. You know, he's I almost obvious. fell out of my chair when he said that Trace last week. He's he's obviously. Tracy comes on here, and he, he obviously has fun from time to time, but you can tell by the manner in which he jokes about that. That bothers him a little bit. It would bother me. It bothers him a little bit. I don't know what that's about. I don't – I mean, I don't know. Who knows, man? I don't know what it's about either. I have no idea. I'm not privy to that information. Right. Uh, you know, I, um, 
Brandon Phillips made the comment the other day that he might crash Reds Fest. Did you see that story? Does that mean that he wasn't invited? That's what I, you know, we got to find that out. There's no way Brandon Phillips was not invited to Reds. He was one of the most popular players in the history of the franchise. I re- if Brandon Phillips wasn't invited to Reds Fest, then he, he, then, there's no, he, I then somebody promise. dropped the whole entire piece of paper they were supposed to send out all of the invitations to, <laughs> and they forgot to invite all of them. And maybe we can formulate the argument that Tracy Jones was on the same list as Brandon Phillips, and it just it slipped through the cracks. I can promise you that, that, that Brandon Phillips was invited, but the Tracy Jones thing, I just, uh, for the life of me, I can't understand it. All right, do we have a cherry on top or no today? Uh, we do. We do. We do. we do. All right. Well, please help me tee it up for us. So we, we had a situation, as we know, a couple months ago, we started off with something called the Bearcat Bash, which changed to the Bash yep. um, for various reasons, really one reason. But that said, there was a personality from Barstool named Dana Beers that went on this uh, kind of a uh, a little weird, if we're being honest, but a little unique situation where he's, he's probably, what, 30, 31 years old. Did not have a college fandom similar to Casey. But unlike Casey, he didn't use the wheel. He went around and did official visits to five or six different colleges to try to pick his fandom. Really? And it kind of blew up a little bit on, on inside the internet with you know him going on these visits and him putting them out just like he's a just like he's in high school, right? Like the exact same idea. Okay. He'd go and tailgate party, and he'd kind of give a little bit of a recap. And he made his decision yesterday on where he was going to spend the rest of his life's fandom with a school. UC was a part of that list, and UC won. It just so happened that Chad Brindle then asked him to come on his show last night, and he said this on their show. Love you guys already. What, <laughs> we what, love you. Dana? what put Cincinnati over the top? Why are you now for life a Bearcat? All right, so this is what I've been telling people. Um, the day I went to visit, it was homecoming, so... Already, that was like an unfair advantage just for Cincy because that was no joke to this day, a top two day of my entire life. Um, <laughs> the experience there, it was just packed. I don't even know the name of the street I was on, but there was thousands of people lined up in the streets, you know, drinking some, drinking some alcohol, drinking some liquor. And the game itself was awesome. They were supposed to blow them out. They only won by three, but that didn't matter to me because I had so much fun. We went out that night, and the people, the the thing I tell people is, it was just the way I connected with people that day. It was, everybody was just so pure and genuine and energetic and just fun to be around. And honestly, like, you don't find that very often. You know, you'll, you'll go to a lot of fan bases where, you know, there's some bad people and there's some people that aren't, you know, lovely to be around. But every single person I met in Cincinnati that day. How cool is that? So I think I think it's safe to say that the uh, the bash on short vine was the difference maker. Yeah. It, was the, it was the difference maker, and he said something very positive about Cincinnati as a whole that I think a lot of people don't understand about the Midwest. I mean, yes, um, I'm not saying it's like the Southern hospitality thing, but I think most people within our communities are genuine people. They they you, you no doubt about you it. care about each other. You make no sure doubt. that there's no fights going on, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. The idea that we ran an event for eight hours and didn't have a single fight in and of itself speaks volumes about the whole situation that was going on down there. So no question. it's kind of neat to hear him kind of give us a shout out, even though he didn't really know what it was or who it was or et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, I think we need to get him on the program. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring him on. Let him know that uh, 
it'll be back better than ever next year. And by the way, I think I've seen, uh, being new to social media, uh, Chad Brendel, who's been a UC guy for a long, long time. Did I not see, and I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, has, has his wife been going through some, some cancer treatment stuff? Yeah, for, for, for I, don't want to, I don't know how long, but he's been very public about that. That's on, what I thought online. I saw. And, and, and yeah. look, I, I don't know Chad. I don't know his wife. But our thoughts and prayers are with you during this Thanksgiving season uh, and each and every day. So we sincerely mean that from all of us here at Chatterbox Sports. Uh, we hope and pray that she's, she's doing well uh, and that your family's doing well. But we got to get that dude on the air. <laughs> Sir Boy Wonder says that Brandon Phillips was not invited. We are going to get to the bottom of that. By the yeah, way. I don't want to go with that until we know that. We need to figure that out. That's a good point. Let's make sure that he was invited. If he wasn't invited, we have some real problems. Well, we will look into that. I can make, I can, I can look into that. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, we thank everybody. We thank Paul Doherty. We thank Marty Brenneman. We thank Tracy Jones. We thank Casey McAllister and the boss, Trace Fowler. Uh, any programming notes for the rest of the day today I need to be aware of? Nope. No. Nope. No. This okay. Is it. Tomorrow, we got lots going on. We got Urban Meyer. Coming on the program to talk about Ohio State VTTUN. If you don't know what that is, figure it out. TTUN. We will not say their name one time tomorrow. Not is, one. Is Michigan appropriate? No. No. And no blue allowed in this studio tomorrow with Urban coming in. So you two better figure something out. We'll see you tomorrow.